0: Hello and welcome, I'm Bonnie and I'm Lily and this is Little Home Organised, a podcast dedicated to helping you declutter, get organised and
1: reclaim time for the things you love. What's the point? I'm eating two minute noodles while I'm studying at uni. Yeah, (laughs)
0: that was definitely me. I was like, I have. Not a penny to me. What even is trigonometry? I don't even remember because I haven't used it. Or maybe I have and I just don't realize it. <laughs> it's You're only 30s the, the hill. You're over it. <laughs> it's only I'm not sharing my age.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome. This week we're talking about getting your affairs in order. We're joined by Monique Delay, a wills and estate lawyer with 30 years experience to talk about how to plan for after your death. While it may seem a morbid topic, making life easier for your loved ones after you depart is a gift. First things first, let's introduce our guest. So Monique DeLay
0: is a lawyer and notary public with over 20 years of legal experience in both large and smaller commercial law firms across Australia. In the last 10 years, she has focused her practice on estate planning and estate administration. Monique is also a minimalist at heart, thriving best when her home is organised. Welcome, Monique. Hi, Lily. Hi, Bonnie. Nice to be here. Thanks
2: for having me.
1: You're a woman after my own heart, being a bit of a minimalist. Yeah, I definitely
2: find having a clean space helps me to have a clear head. For sure.
1: Yes, I can definitely
0: relate to that. And uh, we are privileged today to be recording, actually, a little bit of insider info here in your home, which we can both attest to is beautifully organized and minimalist.
1: Yes, it absolutely is. It's um, that whole a clear desk is a clear mind thing. And and I can see that you do that in your practice as a lawyer.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I pride myself in it, but it drives my family crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's all right. We were born to
2: drive our family.
0: crazy. Yeah, we can relate. (laughs) So today we wanted to get into the topic of making sure we're prepared when the time comes that we do pass. And I think, I still think at least I'm reasonably young. And and it's, you're not that young. It's you're only, the hill.
1: 30 to the hill. <laughs> you're
2: over it. It's only I'm not sharing my age. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's only since having my son that I actually really started to think about getting my affairs in order. Mm. Because I was like, you know, just being laissez-faire about the whole matter. Feeling like, oh, if something happened to me, I'm sure, you know, my husband will figure it out. But when I had offspring now, <laughs> is that a weird... <laughs> Uh, with word to use. <laughs> it is but that's okay. <laughs> um, but having my own child now I was like you, you really need to be responsible you need to get these things lined up but the question is what do you need to get lined mm. up? What are all the documents and processes you should have in place to make sure that your partner and your kids are cared for when, you, you, when you're gone?
1: Well I guess that's why we're here today to talk to Monique because Monique is the lady with the knowledge to be able to shed some light for all of us over the hillers who maybe haven't gotten our affairs quite in order yet.
0: Do you find it is commonplace that people um, actually get quite a way into their life before even looking at getting a will sorted?
2: Well, I think statistically over 50% of Australians don't have a will.
1: Wow. Really? So Um. what happens in that case if they pass and there's no will? What happens to all Hmm. their property and possessions? Well, there's
2: legislation in each state in Australia that – basically says what happens mm-hmm. to your estate if you have not left a will. So we call them the rules of intestacy or laws of intestacy. So that legislation actually sets out who receives your estate. Also means that someone has to apply to a court to be appointed as administrator because if you haven't got a will, you haven't appointed someone who is specifically their task is to administer the estate. So One, it'll involve a court application and two, the law will set out what happens to Mm. your estate. So will's a really important document in terms of, it's about exercising choice, right? So it's your opportunity to say what you would want to have happen with your hard-earned assets.
1: So where does the public trustees come into the equation then? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, some people might appoint the public trustee as executor under their will. And so, is that usually because they have no family or friends? Yeah, it might be that they don't have anyone that they would entrust or want to put the burden of, mm. of, of that responsibility. So the public trustee offers a service in terms of acting as executor and administrator of the estate. So people have that option. Um, the public trustee might also step in where someone doesn't have a will, and there is no one who wants to apply to administer the estate. So the public trustee might be an entity that steps
0: in to administer an estate where an executor hasn't been appointed. Oh, sure. So I know you've said it's different state by state. So let's use uh, Queensland as an example. Mm -hmm. So let's say I haven't got a will in place and I do die. Are you saying that even my husband would have to apply? Yes, so wow. someone
2: someone would have to make a court application. It's called letters of administration.
0: I can bet there are people out there who assume purely through marriage you can just access everything straight away and then you're grieving someone and then come to learn that actually all these affairs aren't in order.
1: Yeah, and you have to not only apply but grieve at the same time as go through this, I'd imagine, lengthy process. It is a fairly
2: standard process, Mm -hmm. an
1: application for letters
2: of administration, but it it still requires probably a lawyer to assist in that Yeah. In that process. So having a will definitely does make, it's about making it easy for those who are left behind. Mm. And yes, in circumstances where they might be grieving as well. So it's certainly a very beneficial and and kind thing to do for those left behind. So with my clients, it's really about trying to help them navigate and pull information together. That's really going to make it easy for
1: those left behind. And even though some people may think, oh, it's costly to put a will together, it seems like it's going to be more costly for the people left behind if you don't do it. Yeah, an
0: investment in your future, in their future.
2: Definitely. I think, yeah, it can definitely save a lot of money.
0: And I think it's
2: just really about certainty then about Mm. where your estate is going to end up. And yeah, people making assumptions about what will automatically happen, that my spouse will
0: just end up with it um, is not necessarily the case. So when you go through high school, they teach you some skills to prepare you for the real world, but there are some that they really don't teach you that are so important. And this is like one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, teach me how to understand taxes. Nope. Teach Mm -hmm. me how to understand how to have my affairs in order. Nope. But Mm. yeah, trigonometry. (laughs) What even is trigonometry? I don't even remember because I haven't used it. (laughs) Or maybe I have and I just don't realise I have. (laughs) So for the people out there who have got no idea, nothing's in order, what are Mm. some of the key documents we need to think about? Well, state planning is not
2: just about planning for your death, although that's obviously first thing that we probably think about. So planning for the future, I sort of use four Ds that helps me remember the risks or what might happen in the future. So one of the risks is debt, another risk is divorce, another risk is disability and another risk is death. Mm. Of course, death is the only certain yeah. outcome in that, so perhaps that's why we think about death, but we don't always think about what happens if I'm in debt, mm. um, what happens if I get divorced, what happens if I suffer some sort of disability. Um, so there are these these other things to think about as well. In In our conversation today, we're really probably going to be focusing on disability and death, mm. um, because the other two are really probably more about financial planning and, and planning financially. And when we're talking about estate Um, planning we're really talking about what happens if I have an injury or an illness that leaves me incapacitated or if I have an injury or an illness that that causes my death so what happens in those circumstances so really there's probably four key documents Mm -hmm. that we regularly talk to clients about and and are really necessary to have in place Um, two are concerned with if we suffer a disability and two are concerned with if we die. So in terms of speaking about disability, we need to be thinking about a document called an enduring power of attorney. Mm -hmm. In some states, it's referred to as an enduring power of guardianship, but it's essentially a document that gives to someone the power to make decisions for you while you're still alive and particularly if you no longer have capacity to make decisions for yourself. So an enduring power of attorney is a very important document.
0: So an example of that might be if you're alive but, you know, have advanced Alzheimer's Uh and can no longer make, you know, choices the way you could 10 years ago. So that would be a situation where that document would come into play.
2: Yep. Or if you um, suffer a stroke and Mm. and are unable to make decisions for yourself or if you have an accident and you're in a coma – or in a um, persistent vegetative state. I find that people – you mentioned, Bonnie, that it's a morbid topic. (laughs) People are somehow ready to talk about death, but talking about incapacity is um, much harder to talk about. People don't want to think about that. So I'll regularly see people who don't have an enduring power of attorney – But also I think because of what you mentioned, Lil, about assumptions that my spouse can just do things Mm. for me, that they automatically have power to do something for me. So if we've got joint bank accounts, maybe that's the case that my spouse can operate on the joint bank account without me. But if I can't make a decision, my spouse, for example, can't sell my house or Mm. can't sign a contract. For the sale of my house mm. just because he owns – he's the joint owner of that property. So there's lots of situations where we might need to have an enduring power of attorney even though we have joint accounts or joint joint yeah. property together. So um, it's not an automatic thing that your spouse can – make those decisions for you.
1: Yeah, we need to break break that assumption. Yeah. And so have you had cases where people have contacted you where their loved one has become incapacitated and they don't have that enduring power of attorney? Yeah. And you're called in last minute to try and help rectify the situation?
2: Yeah. So quite frequently I'll be asked to see someone who is already suffering from some cognitive impairment Mm -hmm. and it's become obvious to the family um, the difficulties that there will be because there is no enduring power of attorney in place. That presents a difficulty because you can only make these documents when you have the mental capacity to make those documents. So. Mm. So there's times where I have to make an assessment about um, a person's capacity and where we might have to be working with doctors to ascertain whether a person does have capacity. So we have to take some very careful steps there. And if the person doesn't have capacity, then an application has to be made to a tribunal for someone to be appointed either administrator or guardian um, for that person. So it's really important that these things are done before. Yeah, and not wait. And I think for a lot of young people in particular, they tend to think that an enduring power of attorney is an old person's document.
0: Yes. yes. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you're describing even being in an accident or having a stroke and those things can happen to young people. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's um,
2: for young people the challenge in coming into this space is perhaps one that we think we're invincible
1: Yeah,
2: mm. <laughs> um, when we're young. What? We're um. not. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but to... Thinking that I'll I'll get to that. I'll get to that at some point. It's not a priority now because I'm not sick and and I'm not staring down the barrel of a a a journey towards incapacitation or death or
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just really important to bear in mind that yeah, if you suffer an accident, you you can be left incapacitated incapacity Mm. is not something that's just reserved for the elderly no um so um it's i recommend that all young people have in place a will and an enduring
1: power of attorney and when is your recommendation for that to happen is it as soon as they turn 18 is it as soon as they get married or have like a lifelong partner when when do you think people should be doing it? Well, I think when they turn 18 and particularly if there's if there's assets.
2: I think for a lot of young people they think, well, I don't own anything. Mm. So
1: what's the point? I'm eating two-minute noodles while I'm studying at uni. Yeah. So. yeah,
0: that was definitely me. I was like, I
1: have <laughs> not a penny to yeah. me. So, <laughs> so, so you're, why, you're welcome to my candle collection. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so why bother? But I was involved in... An estate where a a young man, I suppose, um, perhaps thought in those terms, um, didn't own any property, maybe car, a bit of money in the bank, um, and had been studying, but had been working and had worked in various different jobs, and along the way had accumulated a number of superannuation funds, Mm -hmm. and with insurance policies attached to those Mm. as well. So, um, no spouse, no children – and thinking, nothing in my state, what's what's the point? Tragically killed in a car accident. And when we administered the estate, there actually ended up being about four hundred thousand dollars in superannuation and life insurance wow. benefits. Which, because he didn't have a will, a parent had to apply for administration of the estate, and the laws set out how that money was to be divided. But he lost his opportunity to say where he would want that money—that yeah. money to go. Yeah. So, um, so you might think you have nothing, but there might be. There yeah, might be you've something made a there.
0: you've made a really good
2: point.
1: Insurance
0: policies. There is yeah. there is stuff behind the curtain.
1: Yeah, mm. no, there they're 100% is. Okay, so you mentioned that's one of the four documents. Okay. What's another so, one? So we were talking about in the
2: area of disability mm. um, or incapacity enduring power of attorney and then there's also a document called an advanced health directive so an enduring power of attorney gives to someone the power to make decisions about for you it can be either your personal health matters or your financial matters or both and in Queensland that's just one document in other states it's two documents you have a financial power of attorney and enduring power of guardianship which deals with those two types of things but in Queensland you can roll it all into one document so that gives someone the power to make decisions An advanced health directive is a document that gives your attorney specific instructions about what you would or wouldn't want in certain medical circumstances Mm. and it's a document that you complete with your doctor so that explanations can be given to you and you then have again it's about choice Making choices yeah. and then making it easier for your personal health attorney then to make decisions for you. So it might be if I'm in a coma, if I'm in a the last stages of a terminal illness. So different medical circumstances, it's giving the attorney the directions as to
1: what you would want mm. um, in those circumstances. And when you say attorney, that's the person you've nominated to take that's, care of yes, things. Yeah. And is that something we should be doing as young people as well? I think it's a hard thing for a lot of people to do in my experience. They mm. look
2: at the forms and find it quite overwhelming. Um, you can simply entrust the person that you've appointed as your attorney with those decisions, you can talk about what your wishes might be sure. if it's too difficult for you to um, get your head around making specific instructions, giving mm. specific directions.
1: so We basically just have to trust that our husbands would make the right call for us if an are <laughs> <laughs> If that's if you nominate. Yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I think he'd be a bit offended if I didn't nominate
2: him. <laughs> so that's the two documents where we're talking about incapacity. The two documents that we're talking about in relation to death, uh, is of course your will, we've mentioned that already, and an important document called a, a binding death benefit nomination that specifically deals with what's to happen with your superannuation.
1: Ah, okay, so that's not actually included inside your will. It's separate. You can
2: make a nomination in your super fund that the money, uh, that your super superannuation death benefits are paid to your estate. Mm-hmm. So then it flows into and is tied with your estate. But you can actually nominate beneficiaries mm. um, directly so that those funds go directly to your spouse yep. if you want them to or to children. Yep. Um, so... Binding nominations can be made in favour of a spouse, a child, or a dependent, or someone who you're in an interdependent relationship with. So,
1: this is really interesting that you brought this up because I was talking to my husband about this just a few days ago, and he was speaking to the solicitor at his workplace about superannuation for some reason, and he said to my husband, oh, yeah, you have to nominate in your super fund who your beneficiaries are and you have to do it every three years.
2: Yeah, so some super fund nominations will lapse every three years. Which is so crazy, I feel. Some super funds have non-lapsing nominations, so they will be in place until they're revoked. So um, there can be benefit if if checking with your super fund to see whether they have a non-lapsing option. Mm. But, yeah, if they don't have a non-lapsing option, then it has to be renewed every every and three what years. What happens
1: if you haven't actually renewed it and you've got no beneficiaries nominated? Do the super fund just take all your money? Do you have to apply for it back? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. Will uh, I be robbed? <laughs> yeah, like that's what I feel like. All, all of our hard work earning superannuation and the super fund's like, ha ha, ha you didn't nominate anybody. It's mine. <laughs> no, it
2: won't be lost. It just means that the super fund has a discretion to pay it to one of your, one or more of your dependents. So, again, when we're talking about dependents, we're talking about spouse or children okay. or someone who's financially dependent upon you mm-hmm. or you're in an interdependent relationship with. So, or they can pay it, spouse it to is your
0: dependent <laughs> or they can pay it
2: to your estate. Okay, so they have a discretion. So again, as I said at the outset, it's about choice mm. and um, making sure that your assets end up where you want them to go rather than someone else having a discretion, yep. as to how that where those monies will end up. So binding nomination becomes quite important.
1: So maybe in the case of where you and a spouse have separated or even potentially gone down the road of divorce, if you haven't nominated or changed your beneficiary on your super fund, mm-hmm. the super fund likely has that choice to mm-hmm. give it to your separated Correct. partner. Mm-hmm.
2: Correct, yeah. So that's a risk in, in doing that. So sure. always reviewing and updating your documents as your circumstances change is very important.
1: Which is not something you think about at the time because you're just so busy going through that grieving process of life falling apart. Yeah, I think one of the things
0: that we really do talk about on the podcast quite a bit is being organised allows space for life to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think in our very first episode, we talked about the benefits of getting organised and one of them was being prepared for an emergency. So if all of your documents are together and you have what we call a grab and go folder, If there is a fire that's coming towards your house and you can grab that folder and it's got all the important documents in it, or if your house is tidied and you make sure everything's like set back in place at night when the day starts and something unexpected happens and you suddenly don't have as much time to get out the door with your kids, you're not also fighting the chaos. So getting organised is really important. But I think the thing that's really coming out in today's discussion is that you really do need to get organised now because when someone does become incapacitated or they do die you want to be organized you don't want to be worrying about this stuff no like like be kind to your future self we constantly say that Mm. I'm just really chuffed that we're doing this episode because I think it reminds me even now with my mentality of a 31 year old that it is important to get on top of this stuff I'm not invincible mm. I feel it sometimes less so now that I'm 31 <laughs> <laughs> and you my bones creak a bit more <laughs> <laughs> but it is important yeah it it, really get is. organized now get on to this stuff okay so can we like jump into the big big w the will the will yeah 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 so it's again a, a will is in,
2: is an important document um and when I'm helping people to get the information together in preparing a will, so a lot of people just think, well, it's just a matter of recording my wishes, um, setting out something and putting my signature to that. So first thing to understand is that there are formal requirements that must be met in terms of a of will. So it has to be in writing. It must be witnessed by two adult witnesses um, who are not beneficiaries mm. under the will.
1: Um, Written under jurus. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Um, The person having it must have capacity and not be under any any undue influence as Mm. well.
1: So it's important that a
2: person's making their will freely and Mm. and without any pressure from Mm -hmm. anybody else. Um, So there's these formal requirements that have to be thought about. But also thinking about, I usually start having people think about what is actually in their estate. What do they own? And it's important to understand how that property or how those assets are owned as well because there are implications for how property is owned. For example, with real estate, if you own property with someone else, you can either own it as joint tenants or tenants in common. So there's different ways of owning it and there's different implications when you die. So it's really important for people to understand what is in their estate, what do they own How do they own it? Um, And particularly people who have business assets and trusts. So you can have estates that are very, very simple and you can have estates that are very, very complicated, but it's Mm. important to go through and understand what is in your estate, how is it owned, how is it structured, and then where do you want those assets to end up, who are the beneficiaries that you want to have nominate are there anything that we, is there anything that we need to think about in terms of who those beneficiaries are? Are they overseas? Do they have any special needs? Are they bankrupt? Are they at risk in the way that they lead their life? Uh, is your assets at risk depending on who the beneficiaries are? So the process is really about um, knowing what's in my estate Knowing who my beneficiaries are, who are there are there any special needs that I need to take into account? Is there anyone I don't want to make provision for who perhaps might then be able to contest or challenge my will? So there's all of those sorts of things. and then thinking about who's going to be responsible for administering the estate. So that mm. person's called the executor, they might also be trustee. So there's quite a few things to think about in terms of understanding, Yeah. What's in my estate? Who are my beneficiaries? And how am I going? How are my wishes going to be given effect? Who is going to be the person that I can trust to handle that responsibility?
0: So is the will the document that encompasses who takes care of your kids?
2: Yes, you can appoint a guardian for your children in your will.
1: So a will is really more than my childhood understanding of, well, this special treasure goes to this person yeah. and this special treasure goes to that person. And you – and
0: none for Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Gretchen Wieners? Oh, my gosh, Bonnie, Mean Girls. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, the most quotable chick flick of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Manny's like, um, what? Yeah,
1: no, no clue. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> You'll have to watch that one with the daughters. Oh, in I hope a few people
0: out there got that. If you did, DM I've got me. got sons.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Mean Girls was not something your kids would have watched. <laughs> no. Okay, so I think it's time now to hear Monique's Clutter Confession. Even though you are a minimalist, there's got to be something hiding in the closet. So our
0: Clutter Confessions segment is a time for people to share something weird, wacky or wonderful that they've kind of held on to. So like you, someone else might walk into your home and be like, oh, that's unusual. Why have you kept that? Why have you kept your child's hair? Why have you kept the container of toenail clippings? You know, whatever it might be. <laughs> I think that just took it to the absolute extreme. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It is a spectrum, isn't it? It is. So is there, is there anything that you can think of or maybe you can dub someone in? Definitely no toenail clippings.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, my problem is probably that I throw out things that I probably shouldn't throw out. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything that I've kept. But there is, um, under my stairwell, there is a rather large box of
0: iron ore what <laughs> tell us more about that <gasps> I mean doesn't
1: everyone have one <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't you don't you have a box of yeah. iron ore or yeah I just went yeah. digging
0: in my backyard yeah, yeah. I mean mm-hmm. it's assets right like yeah.
1: it's saving for the <laughs> future doesn't have
2: much value I I would have no clue. To me, absolutely none whatsoever. (laughs) To my husband, every time I say, do we still need to be keeping this box of iron ore? There's no way he's parting with it. So to him, it is of huge sentimental value. I don't know whether he's dealt with that specifically under his will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> precious metals <Yeah. laughs> the iron ore <oil> goes too <laughs> yeah. how I'm do um, you um, disperse that evenly amongst your sons Yeah,
0: <laughs> one for you one for you <laughs> uh, so is, how did the iron ore come into his life he
2: was an engineering surveyor working in the northwest of Western Australia. So it has, I think, some sentimental value for him.
0: For his time there. Yeah. So is it heavy?
2: Like
1: how did he Very get it heavy. back?
2: Yeah, I don't know. It was in a suitcase.
1: Wow. <laughs> I mean, because you've got like a 20 kilo limit usually on your flight. So yeah. did he just leave all the clothes behind? He was, <laughs> he he was, was
2: living it. there. So he may have had it. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: can you just imagine? I love it that it's under the stairs, though. Like, yeah. you're like this is the compromise. You can keep this, <laughs> but it's just going to tuck it away. Yeah. It's yeah. not on display. <laughs> yeah. it's,
2: it's definitely not on display.
1: So is it in a powder form? Like, I've actually never looked at iron ore. No, oil. it looks kind of like, yeah, crystalline rock. Oh. It's, it's some
0: interesting shapes and colours. You might have to grab a photo of that and throw that up on social media yeah, for people. Because
1: I'm sure there are heaps of people like me just thinking, all I can think of is red black it's black wow
0: that's so cool well if you have a clutter confession we would love to hear it so be sure to send it in you can just flick us a message to our facebook page little home organized and check us out on all the other socials as well um i have one more question for you monique before we wrap up today for people who don't know how to access or choose a lawyer do you have any recommendations on how if they've not got any of this stuff in place what should they do to get the ball rolling
2: most of my clients come to me by word of mouth, so they've asked someone else who they've used. The um, Law Society also has a list of, of lawyers. Um, Is that like, a website that people can certain, access? Certain areas. So if you're looking for um, you know, uh, lawyers with an accredited specialisation in certain areas, you can um, – the Law Society has a register that's sort of available for – that's for accredited specialists, but um, – yeah, most of my clients come to me from by word of mouth. So um, mm. ask,
1: ask your friends. Yeah, um, personal recommendation is always the best, isn't it? Mm.
0: The and other thing I find as well is if you haven't got anyone in your immediate circle, if you're a part of like an online group group like a Facebook group like a mum's group yeah yeah mum's groups especially they love to recommend things if they've had a really positive experience or if they've had a really bad one yeah (laughs) don't go
1: to that mechanic
0: yeah um you know that could be another place you could um do a call out and find about people's personal experiences if you haven't got anyone in your immediate circle
1: and just to clarify because this is something that I was a little naive about when I was a teenager not everyone who's a solicitor can necessarily do wills and estates can they
2: not everyone will do wills and estates so um, it's important just to yeah be ringing and usually if, if the lawyer doesn't do wills and estates they will tell you that that's not their area and they might refer you on to somebody else but you can ring your local law firm and um, ask if there's someone there who can handle wills and estates for you. I'm sure you'll be able to find somebody.
1: And one last question I have, how long does the process usually take if you're putting in place these documents? Is it a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months? Well, it it varies, sometimes depending on the complexity
2: of um, a person's situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people like to take a lot of time to think through um, their documents but it need not take very long. Generally it takes me a week to turn around documents for for people. It just depends on how busy your lawyer is as well, Um, So the workload that's there. And there's circumstances where we really want to get wills in place quite quickly because Mm. people are either um, being hospitalised or going away. So we look at trying to have a quick turnaround where we can. So Mm. it needn't... Well, the process might seem a bit overwhelming to start with. I think once people have actually got the ball rolling, um, like most things, once you make a start, it's mm. they usually find, oh, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, it's just that
2: um, whole… It's having someone to help them navigate mm. those questions, mm. to ask those questions and, and to help them get organised. So one thing I should say for people is that pets are not children. So… Um, <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, I think you've just defended a whole bunch of <laughs> our listeners. <laughs> don't
2: leave your estate to your pets. <laughs> oh,
1: yes, yes. You know, that's actually a really good point because what's your your, your schnauzer going to do with it? <laughs> like, with your superannuation fund. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they are
2: property. You can leave them to somebody else and you can leave that person with a gift to be able to take care of them if yep. you want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's probably not wise to leave your estate to you.
1: But you can, to like, to people can do it, like legally? No, no. So okay. a, a
2: dog cannot be a beneficiary. <laughs> but there are ways of structuring, as I say, you can leave the dog to somebody and then give the money. And create to a them. trust.
1: Oh, what? That can yeah. only be used for the care of the dog? Yeah wow I suppose if you are used to a life of
0: luxury yeah (laughs) one pampered pooch yeah Uh, Monique thank you so much for chatting with us today I know that even I've learned a lot not that I knew too much to about this to begin with but Mm. it's been really informative thanks for having me
1: Okay, so for this week's tidy task, if you don't have your will, your enduring power of attorney, your binding financial death benefit nomination, or your advanced health directive sorted, your tidy task is to get the ball rolling. Remember that every journey starts with a single step.
0: And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in, lending us your ears for another week of Little Home Organized. And remember,
1: progress, not perfection.
0: See you later. Bye.